Blog Talk Radio. everyone. Welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me Radio. It is our book and television edition. It is Thursday, July 14th, 2022. My name is Megan and I'm here with the ever lovely Kristen. What's up, Kristen? Hey, I'm so excited we're here. We, so I am so excited as well. We are done doing summer shenanigans. We're getting back to the routines yes. again. Um, and we get to finish out our series about the Harry Potter books and actually talk about Deathly Hollows, the last one. So my favorite one. That is going to be the main discussion part. We have some television shows. There's so many TV shows to talk about. Um, so I made the executive decision that we're going to ignore entertainment news because there's so much TV and there's so <laughs> many book things to talk about. Um, and yeah. then we need to, you know, do Jesse Haldos right. So, um, we're yeah. going to get straight into the TV shows. So yeah. anything that you've been watching, Kristen? So, okay. Full disclosure. I sucked at watching TV this last year. Um, I felt so behind. So currently I am almost done. I have one and a half episodes of organized crime left, but I'm catching up on my law and orders. Um, nice. And I haven't even started the redo, the remake, like the comeback of the original law and order. I haven't even started that, but I've caught up on SVU and I have one and a half episodes of organized crime, which I'm still struggling with. But another time, but I think I know why it's because I feel like it's so unstable my mind can't wrap like Stabler undercover all the time is weird to me because everyone in that city knew who Stabler was when he was on SVU. Everyone knew he was a cop. So how is he suddenly undercover in the same city? It's very weird. But, um, and then I'm rewatching Gilmore girls with my daughter. So I'm just, and then my mindless show that I put on, so I don't have to focus too hard is deadliest catch. I'm currently working my way through all like 18 seasons. Very cool. I can see what new. you mean by Stabler. Um, yeah. But I do think that the the world he the world he gets into in season one mm-hmm. might not have known him. The second season. Yeah, but like this, I think there's no yeah. way a cop gang like work with me, guys. Well, a cop, Whatever. well, he, Stabler, I mean, he does know Stabler. He's friends with Stabler's friends, the cop gang. I know, but anyone who believes He's that Stabler himself. would actually be dirty, you're crazy. Well, he could, like, he has a temper, and he has been written up a lot, so I, I don't right. think it's There's too much of a stretch. There's a difference between having a temper and, like, getting yelled at for being a little hard with bad guys and, like, murdering people. 
I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I really don't. I think Stapler probably uh, could have mind. gone that way at some point. I don't know. I'm struggling with organized crime. So, I think he thinks but I'm, I'm, I'm almost through it. I'm almost through it. I'm almost there. I can't deal. What are you watching? <laughs> Um, I watched a lot of stuff because for some reason this summer, um, all of my shows that I've already loved dropped a lot of new seasons. And so I had to do, uh, I had to get caught up with that right away. Um, and then there's some really good new shows that I wanted to talk about. And, I, and there's another one that just popped in my head, actually. Um, so let's start off with the things that I've already seen that have just added new seasons. So Stranger Things season four dropped. It is probably my favorite season. So I love Stranger Things. Um, season four is airtight, great character development, wonderful, captivating story, definitely scary, lots of really good eighties references. Um, all the things that made Stranger Things, Stranger Things. Um, so if you haven't gotten into it already, um, get into it because it's just, it's, 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 I've never disappointed, I'm never disappointed truly by Stranger Things, if that makes sense. Because even if it's your favorite show, there's always that one season that you're like, I don't know, this, this is not as exciting. I haven't been able to do that with Stranger Things. So, um, season four is amazing. Um, I know you don't like sci-fi thing so have you gotten into Stranger Things so I watched all of season one and then I decided that I was not going to watch anymore because it was too weird <laughs> I mean it is a weird show but that's kind of the point yeah it's like um, that the, it's the sci-fi thing I'm, I'm a fantasy I'm like I can't I don't know what it is I just can't <laughs> yeah no. um, this one is also probably too weird for you um, Umbrella Academy also came out with the season three Season three is not my favorite of the Umbrella Academy, I would have to say, um, but it's still a really good show, really good actors. Um, so if you it hasn't been on your radar, season three dropped. Um, and let's get some, some of the new things. So Disney Plus, um, another addition to their MCU world, which is getting impossibly big. <laughs> and I don't, I still wonder how they're going to pull this off because. The TV shows do connect with the movies. So, like, if you watch Doctor Strange without Wanda, without WandaVision, I imagine maybe you could get everything. But I think you'd still be like, why is Wanda in the position that she's in right now? And why is she acting the way that she did? And why is she, who the hell are these kids she's talking about? Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, so, like, it's without that piece, I think you have to do a lot more mental gymnastics to truly understand that movie and why it's happening. Um, also, okay. like, so it, it's getting to the point where you really do need to watch 900 television shows and 500 movies to understand the next thing that's coming, <laughs> um, which I love because I'm a nerd and I'm going to watch all of those things. But the casual of movie gamer, I wonder how they're going to be with this because – not everyone has the time or the enthusiasm to watch 900 things before they watch the new MCU movie. So it's going to be interesting to see how they balance that. And I haven't seen Thor yet, so I can't tell you if Thor is connected to the TV shows or not. Um, but anyway, they introduced a new person, Miss Marvel, um, Disney Plus. It started getting a little hate from people who are into the comic books of Miss Marvel because they changed her powers a little bit. But 
I can okay. understand why they changed the powers for because you know how there's certain superpowers that are great in comic books but they look really stupid on TV. Yep. Sometimes you have to change it because you don't have the CGI magic to make that superpower look as cool as it is on the comic book. So they changed it, but I didn't care. Um, I thought it was really funny and very super entertaining. It brings a new culture, which is Pakistani culture, um, to the table that maybe not a lot of people know about. Um, and it's just a very charming show. So if you're into that, Miss Marvel is a good way to go. And it is going to have a huge tie-in with the Marvels, which is a MCU movie that is in the pipeline in the future. So there is a connection. Um, and then um, the other one is Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is the Star Wars franchise um, limited miniseries. I loved it. Star Wars fans are the worst. I'm sorry if you're a Star Wars fan, but we are the worst <laughs> fandom in the world. We are very toxic. We love to hate the thing we love for some reason. Um, I enjoyed it. I had no issues uh, with it because I have to, you have to decide, do you want more content or do you want to protect the time frame? Because you're not going to get new content if like the time frame can't be a little, little wiggle room. So, but I loved it. It was great seeing Ian McGregor back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I thought it was a very compelling story. It introduces some interesting characters that can be played with in the future. So Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. And then the last thing, and I hope that it gets the Emmy Awards. I know that um, Margaret um, Quigley, um, who is the star of the show, of this TV series, um, just got nominated for an Emmy, and that's made. M-A-I-D, like the person who cleaned I've heard out good things about it. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but it's on my list. Yeah, no, it's so good. It's so good in, a, in many different ways. Number one, it really talks about the complexities of poverty and, like, how hard it is and how the odds are against you to try to lift yourself from that because of the rules and regulations that are put forth. It makes it really hard. It also showcases how hard it is to be a single mom <laughs> and how hard it is to be a single mom when you are leaving a emotionally abusive relationship. Um, and so it's, it's high stakes, but it's, it's told in a way that's very emotional, hopeful as well. And also just points out like, man, like that's like, what do you do when you are a woman who hasn't been working because your partner doesn't want you to work and you have a child and you're leaving him because he's emotionally abusive and you have to take care of yourself and your kid. Like, but you can't get benefits until you prove that you're working. But if you're working, you can't work too much because if you get a little bit more money than you need to, then you don't get the benefits, but you don't have enough money to actually live. So it's like, it's like right. this bunch of impossible tasks that you have to go through. And I think people who don't understand, have not been in that position don't understand that. And I think it shows it in a really way that, I think everyone can be really empathetic for um, instead of the whole, you know, like you're poor. So obviously you're making all the wrong decisions because you're poor kind of a thing. Um, so it's so good. And it's beautifully shot, well acted. Um, I actually love Nick Robertson as an actor and as a person, 
but I hated him in this, which shows how great of an actor he is because I don't hate him. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's just a really good one. So I think that's my my number one recommendation um, of all of my choices, to be honest. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to just kind of quickly plug is uh, if you have Paramount Plus, there's a documentary called The Only about Brianna Scurry, who is the goalkeeper of 1989 U.S. women's soccer team. Um, and it's just a great documentary. Um, so check that out if you're into soccer and documentaries. It's really good. So I think that's Man, you tell you're on summer break. Yeah, I know. Like, just watching all those things. And these are honestly, like, even if this was October, which is, like, one of my busiest months, I probably would still try to watch all these things because they're all my nerdy things. And that's awesome. You know, you just have to get that done. All right. So let's get into books then. So what's going on in the book world? So honestly, when I was updating our list, um, a lot of these were on it 10 weeks ago when we did our last show. Yeah, which is weird, um, but that that's weird. cool. Um, so in fifth right now is Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. This is actually um, probably there because three of her books are in the top five right now. Um, she's released a new book, and there's lots of hype with her right now, so everyone's reading them. But Ugly Love is a story about Kate Collins and Miles Archer. He's an airline pilot. They think they can handle a no-strings-attached relationship, and they can't, and it gets, uh, nope, it gets a little uh, issue. Yeah, that's a good book. I've read it. Um, and then in fourth, we got Rising Tiger by Brad Thor. It's the 21st book in the Scott Harvest series. That's a lot of Damn. books. Um, it's, I know. It's an American, the American spy faces dangers on a mission in an unfamiliar culture. I mean, 21 missions, how many cultures are you unfamiliar with at that point if you've gone to 21 different places? <laughs> I know the world. Thanks to Brad Thor. By the way, do you think the old name is running to Thor? It's crazy. <laughs> um, and then for third, we have Verity by Colleen Hoover. This is a triggery book from my understanding. I have not read it, but everyone I hear it. The reset says trigger warning. Um, this mm-hmm. one is Lowen Ashley is hired by the husband of an injured writer to complete her po- popular series and uncovers a horrifying truth. Um, and then Ooh. number two is It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. Again, um, it's a battered wife raised in a violent home attempts to halt the cycle of abuse. Again, trigger warnings, guys. Um, just If you read Colleen Hoover, just know there's going to be a trigger warning. Because she does not, like, hold back when she writes. She writes about all the dirty, grimy stuff that nobody likes to write about, but she does it well, so it is what it is. Um, And then in first, because for obvious reasons, the movie dropped Mm -hmm. yesterday. uh, I was wondering if I'd be Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not shocked at all that it's in the top (laughs) right now because the movie came out yesterday. I'm going to see it with my my in-person book club on 26. Very cool. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I, I want to watch it as well, but should I do the movie first or the book first? Most people say do the book first. Uh, you should read the book first, Megan. Don't ever ask me that question ever again. You know the answer. <laughs> That's why I corrected myself. Lord. See how violent book people can get. <laughs> um, <laughs> for... The nonfiction world. 
Um, these are the top five going on. It's mostly politics and trauma, and those two things definitely go together, <laughs> as of late. Um, number five, killing, killing the Killers by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. It's been on for 10 weeks. Um, number four is Happy Go Lucky by David Sedaris. Um, David Sedaris is hilarious. He's a humorist who portrays personal and public upheavals of his life and in its seventh decade and the world in the time of pandemic. Um, so I imagine that he will have a very interesting take on what happened in the pandemic and his experience. He, he is a very humorous writer. Number three is Finding Me by Viola, Viola Davis on for 11 weeks. Um, she's an amazing, amazing actress, and this is her showcasing her life and her journey. Number two, Battle for the American Mind. Oh, my Lord. Just the title alone, I know I'm going to hate it. <laughs> Well, because it's funny it's you say that like, because when when I was typing this out, I saw Killing the and my mind forgot I was on nonfiction, and I was like, ooh, this is about serial killers, but they're <coughs> killers that are killing other murderers. And then I was like, Bill O'Reilly, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, yes. not interested. <laughs> it was just, it just from the title alone, so Battle of the American Mind, it means <laughs> that these people think that there is a singular – American mind and that there's things that are changing the American mind like diversity or time or education um so like I just I don't even need, I didn't even look at the description I already know where this is going and I already know who is probably <laughs> going to be responsible for this so Battle of the American Mind yeah. by Pete Hagseth and David Goodwin uh, on for week four weeks, and this is where I'm not surprised. The Fox and Friends Weekend host makes his case for what he calls classical Christian education. Again, apparently American is Christian, um, according to these people. Um, number one, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 98 weeks on, How Trauma Affects the Body and Mind and innovative treatments for recovery. So that's the top five. Uh, there's been so much interest in trauma. Um, I've been seeing more of those books out lately, um, and I think for very real reasons. We've, we've experienced and witnessed some very traumatic things the last few years. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know. Some of these, uh, I'm, like, uh, when COVID happened, a lot of the books had these trends of what they were about. And now I'm like, can we trend elsewhere? Like, I need new trends. It's always <laughs> super political nonsense yep. or COVID or, like, I actually am interested in that. The Body Keeps one that I'm not going to crack that one. That one actually sounds really interesting. But, yeah, and, and, I can't and deal with that. I don't know. And what, I think, I'm, you know, I'm I've not read... going to learn from the American Mind one because it's it's a narrowing definition of, of something. And when so, it's and my it talks about one specific Christian religion, and it's not Catholic. <laughs> so. Right. Um, and I just want <laughs> you to know because I know you're you're always telling me to read nonfiction. I have actually read two nonfiction books this year. Two. Oh my God! I read Into Thin Air about the Mount Everest 1996. Debacle, uh, and I one. read. Yeah, it was really good. And I read. Um, oh my gosh, what was it called? Uh, it was about a woman who's like a, a. She she did. Oh, Shakespeare saves my life. Okay. Um, 
it's about a woman who went into prisons and started teaching Shakespeare, and she actually, like, rehabilitated a, like, super crazy murderer who was Mm -hmm. in solitary for, like, 20 years. He's like, I love Hamlet. (laughs) Yeah, and now he teaches it. Yeah, now he teaches it. That's awesome. We I, we do need more like opportunities in, like that. Yeah, for so it was, people it was who made mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. But the battle yeah. for the American mind. Please do not make that on the top five the next time I have to read this. Please. Thank you. Yeah. That's fair. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. All right. You ready for my book rec? Always. I did not even update this, but I was just looking at it. I was like, well, that's valid. So um, it's, it's been a little bit, but I, I read the book One for Sorrow, which is by Helen Field. She's one of my favorite thriller authors. Uh, but I got to tell you, if you don't like uh, vivid, goryness, read her books because she does not hold back on descriptions. Um, <laughs> but uh, this was actually the final book. Well, it's not, I don't know if it better not be the final book. I'll be real mad. But uh, it was the most recent book in her Perfect series. But she named it something else so people could read it standalone. But don't do that because I think you'll be confused. You'll be like, who are these people and why do they care about each other so much if you haven't read the other six? So read the books. They're so good. But One for Sorrow was fantastic. Could not put it down. And then I cried at the end. So, And then I texted her or tweeted her and said, excuse me, when is the next one coming out? And she said, you'll have to ask my publisher. And then I angry tweeted her publisher, like, if you don't let her write another one, we're going to fight. So that's my book writing. I've read a lot of other books. I'm on, I think I'm at book 37 right now of the year. I think. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I have failed tremendously because like the thing with tv shows for me for you reading has kind of dropped off for me a little bit Lame. i don't know why because i love I'm reading like, i love you're reading. fired i know you're fired. <laughs> but you know people go through i go through stages like right now i don't really feel like watching anything new i don't want to pay attention to it i'd rather read my book and just put on something mindless but there's times when i'm like i don't want to read i want to watch tv yep i, I think it's so. just based on what your brain needs really yep Brain calls for different things. So uh, now we're talking about what we're reading, right? Yeah, and currently um, I'm reading my two book club books. I'm trying to knock those out for this month. Uh, So I'm reading Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Um, It's fascinating. It takes place in the 60s, and it's about a woman who uh, wants to she's a scientist. And she kind of looks down on everyone. And it also involves, like, it jumps back and forth to where she has a daughter and talks about what her mom does now versus being a regular scientist. But it it really just talks about women's rights and, like, how women were treated. And I think it goes a lot with what's going on in the world today. So I really like that. And then I just finished, like, 30 minutes before this podcast. Um, I finished In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware. And that was our mystery thriller for our uh, book club, my online book club. And it's really good. If you don't, have never read Ruth Ware, she writes fantastic, um, like, mystery thrillers. Lots of suspense. Um, and this is our second one we've read in that book club. 
Very cool. Um, and as for me, I actually have a new book. Usually what oh, happens good. is Kristen every single time has a new book, and I'm like, I'm still reading the same book. <laughs> but <laughs> I never need one now. <laughs> I have just started the second book of The Trials of the uh, of Apollo, which is one of Rick Warden's um, series, and I'm super excited about it because um, I was reading a very kind of not a really good but, like, one that I, just based on where my brain is right now, needed to slowly digest. Um, so it took me a moment to read it. Um, but I'm super excited to have something that's humorous um, and about the Greek gods. So um, super excited to read it. Just started it, though. So I will give you an update fully um, the next time we talk about it. Because I'll still be reading it the next time we talk about it. <laughs> Probably, yes. Most definitely you will. <laughs> That's fun. Um, but speaking of reading, our book club, um, which is um, just one more chapter on book clubs, uh, is reading In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware. Again, mystery, thriller. Um, you can join us, bookclub.com slash just one more chapter book club. Uh, we have like 100 people in it now. Um, it's fun, and we do Zoom um, video chats. You do not have to video. You can just chat, or you can even jump in the, the typing chat and do it in there. Uh, but we meet twice a month, uh, the last Wednesday and Sunday of the month, or the last Wednesday and then the first Sunday of the next month, where however it ends up falling. But, yeah. Super cool that you're doing Zoom. Yeah. That's an awesome update. And before... It is, isn't it? We're having a blast. I, we have people from all over. We had a girl from um, Madagascar join us, and she was 17. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. We were super excited to have her there. But um, before we jump into our main topic, I just want to give a real quick shout-out because my daughter's stepbrother, um, he's a teenager, he is listening for the first time ever, and he loves Harry Potter. So hi, AJ. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we will not upset you, AJ. I feel like a lot of pressure now. I know. Don't piss him off. He likes Harry Potter. <laughs> so lots of pressure now. All right. So are you ready to talk Jesse Hollow? I guess. I'm I'm in a weird place with I can't remember what's the book and what's the movie and I feel bad. <laughs> Trust me, I will be able to decipher that for you. So whenever you say something that I'm like, No, it's a movie. I'll stop you. No, Kristen. And this is what I was talking about. So, like, so Kristen's saying this. This is why I worry so bad about my Ron. Because I feel like as time goes on, more people watch the movies over and over and over again. And so their idea of what they think of Ron is not actually what Ron is supposed to be. It's about what the, Ron, what the movie's made of. So this is why I wanted to do this series, was just focus on the books. Um so that I can, you know, try to take away that revisionist history that's happening. And it's not just happening to Ron. It's happening to other aspects of Harry Potter, too. I just really care about Ron. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it is good. So if you bring it up, I can be like, hey, that's not in the book, but that was really cool. Um, like, And then we can continue on with our, our, our spiels. So Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Um, to me, a lot of people are upset with it because it, it kills certain characters that they love. And it is hard to love a book that kills something you enjoy. 
So I totally get that. But I also think that it is probably the most poetry, like poetically written books. It is a very beautifully written book uh, from from my standpoint in terms of like the style that I like. So I really enjoyed it, um, minus the heartbreak that happens at the end because there is a character that I am still um, in therapy about. <laughs> Um, so we'll talk more about that later, but again, this is going to be spoilers. So if you haven't read it, I don't know, like you're obviously not a millennial, I guess. Um, so <laughs> you need to get on that. Um, but we are going to be talking spoilers. So if you haven't read or watched Deathly Hollows or don't know what the hell we're talking about, stop listening and, and go do that and then come back. So I wrote, what is the theme of this book? And I wrote mother effing loves. <laughs> that's on the notes I'm not going to swear but mother effing love and I wrote that in that way for a couple of different reasons number one love is the theme of the entire series it just is and the second reason why I wrote it like that way is because the mothers in these stories are really the main reason for why Harry Potter is able to do what he does everything from his own mother to Mrs. Weasley, to the choices of Narcissa Malfoy. Um, mothers are the reasons for why Harry Potter was able to conquer uh, and take out Voldemort. Um, that's a big, so it's both love and mother love, you know. So um, it's definitely a major theme in this in this book. Um, is there any other theme that you saw in this particular one? Um. I mean, love is. I feel. I feel like that that battle between um, love and or love, good and evil, was the biggest theme for me. Um, but also, like like you said, with people dying, I think while some people were upset about it, I I was sad about it, and I was like, this is crap. Pick other characters. But <laughs> yeah. at the same time, I feel it was necessary. That story would be unbelievable if nobody important close to Harry died. Like, it, it, this is war. It's not like something silly. Like, it would be really crazy that nobody close to him died in the end. 100%. But, I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, um, like if, if, if Ron died in this, I would be like, this is a good book, but I can't read it. Like, you know, like, so I totally get, like, if you're, if you're 100% into a certain character and they died, like, having it being a bit tainted makes sense because it will elicit a lot of emotions from you. And there is the, like, why couldn't you kill this person? Um, like, what was the, and it's the point weird of because, like, I got, always make the I got super emotional over people's deaths that I didn't. Like, for in this one, and again, if you haven't, you should stop listening because we're going to spoil the whole dang movie um, if you haven't seen it, but <laughs> our movie, book, and the movie. We're going to spoil the whole story if you are here. Um, but, like, Snape dying was a big thing for me because I was like, he's so evil, but then you find out he's not evil, and you're like, oh... Like, that's really sad. He, had to like, die. His whole, <laughs> he did, but I'm like, his whole life was basically like keeping this secret and having to live with it. Yeah. And also, like, trying to protect Harry, but not even liking him because he reminded him of something he lost himself. And so, 
100%. I don't know. There was something like devastatingly sad when you found out that Snape was not bad. I I don't have as much emotional connection to Snape as you do, um, but like <laughs> I do I do think from a story standpoint, Snape had to die because. He just had to, like, just in terms of, like, where he was in the story and the, how he played both sides. And, like, there, yeah. like he was not going to have a normal life after the war. Like, that just it wasn't going to be a thing. So he had to die. Whereas that's different than, like, why did you choose to kill Fred Weasley? You know, like, so you could have picked a different Weasley, like Percy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nobody would have questioned you, sir. Percy. It would, no. So like like those deaths, I understand why people are upset. Snape, it was always there was no other option for him, and I kind of felt the same way about Sirius. Like there's a lot of people who are angry about Sirius dying, but I'm all, I also feel felt like you know there there's there's life and there's quality of life, and there was no way that you know like the the way that Sirius was living was driving him crazy, and I understand that. Um, and Dumbledore the old wizardy person usually always dies so like you know like there's there's paths that they have so i agree the the snape the scene in which snape gets killed totally emotional i have a lot of questions about snape's affections to lily and whether or not that is healthy i don't think it is i think it's pretty toxic and you could probably make a case that it might be even abusive since it's unwanted um, <laughs> so, but a lot of people romanticize that, but I have questions. Yep. Um, but it's definitely it was a a very moving scene for sure, one hundred percent. So I think we have love, we have death, we have good overcoming overcoming evil. There's also a sense of unity of people coming together to make sure that good triumphs over evil, and then of course the classic hero's journey. Um, in which our hero finally makes the final sacrifice to save the listening world. So I think those are the main themes, right? Right. Am I forgetting anything? I don't think so. I think that's everything. So I want to start off our discussion with the opening scene. Because the opening scene, like when I first, when I was like at the midnight release and I was with my two friends, Jeanette um, and Jess, and we got the book, and we came back to my house. We started reading it all together. And I read the first chapter, and I looked at my friends, and I was like, you know what? This is going to be a really effed up book. <laughs> because it starts off playing that double agent. It starts off with the Malfoys who look like they're, like, like at any moment they're going to be killed. Like, Lucius is, like, sweating and nervous and, like, just, like, not knowing what to do. And they have this professor, Charity Burbage, who's the Muggle Studies professor at Hogwarts, just, like, floating over the table with Nagini, like, wrapping her up. And they're just having this meeting with this person that's, like, being tortured. And then at the end of the chapter, they kill him. And then Voldemort's like, Nagini, here's your food. And you're like, what is happening (laughs) right now? So once I saw this chapter, I was like, okay, people are going to die. This is not going to be like the normal Harry Potter books. This is going to be pretty brutal for like a kid's book. 
not Game of Thrones. Right. But it's it's for 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 what it is. This is going to be a pretty brutal book. Like she starts off with no safety whatsoever. Um. And so I, I think I literally like read that and then looked at my friends and went, "What the f?" And they were like, "I know." And so like we just kept reading it. But I know. it really does open the door to the tone of this entire book. Um, so, yeah. So, I think we should do, because I know that there's some things that we really, really want to talk about, and I think we should start talking about that. Now, one of the things that you talked about a little bit earlier um, was, mm-hmm. and when you were asking me, is this the movie or the books, um, is about Hermione's parents. Yeah. Um, and of course, in the movie, we saw her actually do it, and that's not in the book. In the book, it's Hermione says, "I did this, and it sucks, and it was very emotional." Um, so you got it like Hermione told it, and rather than you got to see it, so it rings way more emotional in the movies than it does the books. But I think you can also understand even with the books, <coughs> Hermione made a major sacrifice there. Um, altering the memories of her parents, and I still wonder, like, what what happened to them, and like, were was Hermione able to get to them, you know, like, and reverse it, and have her parents, or did not? Like, I'm I'm not like, there's a lot of questions to it. That's a really big thing to do. Um, so, what do you think about that? I think that I don't know why, but whether it's the book or the movie, either way the thought of that is so sad, but I also agree that like, there's no follow-up. We don't get to know, like, is she just family, family list now forever? Cause that's kind of depressing as nice of a person as Hermione is and how good she is. Is she just without family now forever? Mm-hmm. And so and I don't know like, why, but just that it's just sad. <laughs> sad to me. It is sad. And it, it's, it is it's a it's an understandable thing to do because it's getting her parents safe and out of the way so that they don't become collateral damage and whatever is about to happen. But again, like all of these things that are happening at the beginning, like children making these decisions, right, to fight in this war, is like it just really kind of showcases how really serious this all is. Um. We won't spend too much time on it, but the goodbye to the Dursleys. Um, Dudley became a person, <laughs> despite <laughs> the attempts of his parents to not make him a person. Right? <clears throat> and that was really cool um, to see. Like, obviously, I don't know if Harry and Dudley, like, see each other at Christmas or something like that. But, like, um, it was just good <laughs> to see. I, I doubt there's much contact with the Dursleys. Um, but, like, it just it was good to see that Dudley recognized that Harry saved him and was kind of showing a little bit more humanity despite the fact that his parents are crappy. Um, but do you think Aunt Petunia cared for Harry to any degree? I honestly don't. I think that woman is pure freaking evil. Um I feel like, like you said, I feel like Dudley, and I feel like the book did Dudley so much more justice in this scene, um, if we're comparing the two. 100%. Um, But uh, 
I feel like Dud, like you said, Dudley became like showed that he maybe wasn't a hundred percent as evil as his parents. Because I don't think there's any coming back for Petunia and Uncle Vernon. I don't think that. I think they're just the equivalent of like racist and sexist. I feel like I think they're what we would find in people and we're like, well, they're just terrible. I think that's what they are. They're just terrible. And so like, I feel like that showed that there's a hope, there's hope for Dudley. (laughs) For a hundred percent. They are definitely people who have bought the battle for the American mind. Um, (laughs) They're that kind of people. Um, And I think that there isn't, I think that Aunt Petunia is too resentful. I think that that to be able to really be in Harry's life, and I don't think Harry would want to be, because why would he? That was a, such an abusive situation for him for so long. Um, so yeah, definitely. All right, so let's go on to sure. uh, what Dumbledore leaves for the kids. So um, there's a new minister for magic. We already talked about in the last book. Um, he comes. And basically is like, why the hell is Dumbledore giving you these things? And wants to find out more information. This is Rufus Scrimgeour. Um, And the kids play it off because, A, they don't know why Dumbledore would be giving them to this. They're all confused about the things that they get. So, But they end up being incredibly important for the entire book. And their mission to find the Horcruxes and eventually defeat Voldemort. So the Deluminator um, came for Ron, and that was simply to get his ass back to the group after uh, not being able to handle the locket, and we'll talk more about that later. I I think that really just showcases how Dumbledore understands Ron as a person, and also how he knows um, how important Ron is to Harry, um, but why he gave that gift. He gave Tales of the Beetle of the Bard to Hermione, which allowed them to learn about the Deathly Hollows. Incredibly important. Right. He gave a golden stitch for Harry, um, which had the hidden inside the Resurrection Stone, which is also incredibly important to um, Harry's journey. So, like, Dumbledore's dead, but he's still, like, pulling the strings, which is, like, death goals, in my personal opinion. Like, I feel like I need to, like, step up my death game. Um, because he's totally on it. Without those gifts, they really would not have been able to complete the things that they did. And the reason I'm bringing that up is just because it is such an important part of the story. Um, so let's talk about what is something that you wanted to bring up, meaning one of your talking points that you wanted to make sure that we talked about. Um, which one? Um, I think my favorite in this story was Harry and his realization of what had been going on this whole time, which is that even though he was very cared about, um, Dumbledore, who he thought was his, like, dude, has known the whole time, basically, that Harry and Voldemort cannot... And what it, what is the saying? Uh, for one to serve... One has to die for either to survive or something like that. Um, And that's, I feel like that was a really sad realization for him that 
this whole time, he was almost like a pawn in this game. And instead of just being honest with him, which the person Harry is probably would have just offered himself up. But he was almost like played the whole time. And now he's figured this out and he knows like, we can't kill him unless I die first. And that is such a hard thing to accept. And like Harry goes through that and has that like resurrection stone experience and to be able to accept that. Yeah, remember no, this kid. I mean, this is a kid. <laughs> I honestly feel like probably kids are better at accepting stuff like that than we are. Sadly, um, I think kids are pretty amazing. It's adults who make me angry yeah. most of the time. Um, but yeah, no, like that's a hard thing to do. And and the the poetry of how that scene was written and how it played out was really really good. Um, and then when he came back, of course. Um, and everyone thinks he's dead, but he's not. Narcissa Malfoy could have ended it, right? All she had to have said was he's still alive, and Harry probably would have been killed because he only knows, like, three spells, or he only uses three spells. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> he probably knows more. I always picture him as an aura and how that works. But that's um, really funny. But... He only knows three spells. <laughs> So the fact that, like like I said, like Narcissa Malfoy, who is protective of his son, her son, her son failed the assassination attempt, knows that she's in bad favor with Voldemort already. And she chooses her family. She chooses her family over anything else. And Lucius is a coward. He can't do that. But Narcissa does. She chooses her family and she decided to say, yeah, he's dead. And then allowed everything else to to follow. That whole book moment of when Harry died to him having the conversation with Dumbledore to to being alive in Narcissa and then going to, to the actual battle to fight things out for the last time is, is it's was so well written. Um, and so well done. I I think it's a, a beautiful part of the book. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It just makes me sad. I can't imagine. I I feel like Harry Potter, the whole series, is a ma- just a bunch of us going, oh, that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> Fiction. Fiction every, in general. Every decision. Every decision. Yes. Yeah. Um, something know. more lighthearted that I want to bring up. Um, I have always wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, and teaching is not that different than broadcasting um <laughs> i've always wanted to be though like since i was a little kid i wanted to be a radio dj it's why we're doing a podcast as a hobby because I, I enjoy talking about things um in in this kind of forum and so potter watch uh which is the secret channel um that remus lupin kingsley shacklebolt and the weasleys uh, the weasley twins uh, man is such a vital part of the storyline um, in giving the trio bits and pieces about what's going on outside of their journey and just showcases how everyone is working. Like, so the, the trio might be working on Horcruxes, but you have Lee and the Weasley twins who are like, we need to get information out since Voldemort now controls everything. Um, and so it just kind of gives you a picture of just what the other people are doing outside of the trio and how hard they're working and how they're putting their lives on the line and how they have to move from one station to the next 
to be able to keep doing the things that they're doing. So I thought that was super cool. So I wanted to make sure that that, that was brought up because um, it is one of my favorite things that she introduced because once the media is gone, it's hard to get true information and to organize and to get things going. So part of Potter watch was able to, um, to, to do that. Yeah. I think Potter watch is such a cool idea. Cause it's like, I don't know. I get excited about things with like code names. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. Like, um, I want and one. You have to like have a like a secret word to get. To, like I, it's just it's just so cool. It it really is. Although I gotta say, could they could have come up with something better than lightning has struck? I I don't see any issues with lightning has struck. <laughs> I feel like it's super obvious. Like we have seen Harry Potter. I think the thing about codes, though, is that you have to be able to communicate with people you haven't told about that code, but yeah. also not be so explicit. You know what I mean? Like, if she, if he, if she, he was like, the radish is on the move. Like, Harry's going to be like, who the fuck, <laughs> who the F is the radish? So it has There's to be something that, <laughs> like, why am I the radish? So it has to be something that's connected to Harry so that he can understand um, or that and that people who are in the circle can understand. But I think it's hard to come up with code words, to be honest. I wouldn't want it. I would be horrible at it. Me too. I think I'd probably be the radish person. (laughs) (laughs) No one will know what you're talking about, Megan. That's funny. But true. (laughs) Anything else from your talking points? Um, yeah, so uh, a lot of this story was Harry, Ron, and Hermione traveling together, hunting horcruxes. They're away from their family. There's no one around. They're sneaking in and out of a lot of different places. Um, I just, I really like the bonding, but also like the reality that these people are living in close quarters and they really have no idea what they're doing most of the time, if we're honest. Yeah. Um, because yeah. there weren't like a clear set of instructions. Like if you go here, you'll find a horcrux. They're just guessing at what could be important and trying right. to use the clues that were left by Dumbledore and such. So I just, um, I loved the moments when they're all together figuring stuff out. I even loved the fights and like how they cope with them and coming back together when they have fought. I just really loved that, that bond that bonding I feel like even though they've been together for all these years now and working together and always getting in trouble every year this was like a true test of like their friendship and you know could they make it in the real world you know after this I feel like they survived in the middle of the woods by themselves for how long yeah, for sure. And I think what you kind of spoke to is just how difficult it is because it's like, it's not like camping, um, which can be difficult right. in itself sometimes. It's like, it's, it's, you're constantly on the move. You're trying to figure things out. You're in danger. If you're caught by the wrong people, it just will throw the whole thing into that. And then it's also the added mix of they're taking turns wearing the locket and the locket that they have to take turns wearing turns them into a-holes. They turns them into yep. jerks. 
and and even though you probably yep. would be thinking that without the locket because it's hard to live with the same people for a very long time in a high stress situation the locket is, yep. is preying on all those thoughts and all those things that are annoying them or that they're scared about or deep-seated insecurities that they have and this is a perfect transition to what I want to talk about next, which is Ron's journey and Deathly Hollows. I remember after the book was released, so many people hating on Ron for leaving. And I get that. I mean, he left, which was a mistake, and it was dangerous um, that he did. But I also totally understand why he did it. Um, of the three... Harry, Hermione, and Ron. Ron probably has a lot, the the most, more work to do on himself. And, which is believing in himself. And when people say that, oh, Ron is not perfect for Hermione, I would have agreed if the things that he experienced didn't happen in this book. Because I agree with them. If he doesn't work on his insecurities and his sense of self, then he wouldn't be a good partner for Hermione, 100%, because he's always going to be that jealous person who overreacts to things. Um, but he does do the work in this. Um, but it couldn't happen until he left, because the locket really poisoned him, because he had so much work to do on himself. And so in a moment, he got angry and he left, which we all do. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like as Yep. We've all had that moment where we've lost our, we've lost, we lost the script a bit and we're angry and we're upset and we leave. But the thing is that I can just drive back to my house. When you operate away in a war where you have to leave soon, it's harder to get back to the, to the people. It's harder to be, to unring that bell. And there's a couple of things that are good about him leaving. Number one, I think Carrie and Hermione realize how sucky it is to not have Ron because Ron I think is the heart of the trio I think it really does he's the heart and when he's gone it's really boring and sad and no the book did not have a weird creepy dance with Harry and Hermione I don't know why they put that in the movie it was incredibly unnecessary um (laughs) but when Ron comes back he comes back with really good information that they need so for plot reasons he needed to leave because he brought back information that the trio needed. And just from a personal journey standpoint, he needed to he needed to get a hold of himself. And when he came back and he had to be the one that destroys the locket. And that locket gave him all of his insecurities, everything he fears. And he took that sword and he destroyed it. That was Ron growing. And ever, and once that happened, you did not see some of those insecurities in Ron because he faced it. And he faced it in a, in a, a violent, antagonizing way that we didn't have to deal with before. So to me, that was so, – like, I was teary-eyed when I read that scene. Um, and – when people say that Ron is not worthy of Hermione, I go back to that scene because it's so much easier. It really is. It's easier to fight battles against external threats. It's so much harder to face yourself. It really is. Um, 
So I love that scene. I love Ron's journey. Um, another thing I want to mention is when Hermione is captured and tortured. Oh my God! And they're in the dungeon. Do you remember that scene? Or that that book yes. moment? How do you not remember that scene? I don't know. Some people are stupid. Um, but that scene of like just like the way that Her- the Ron was like reacting to it, and he was just like you know, like he just wanted he had a singular purpose, and the singular purpose was to save Hermione. Um, and that scene in particular was just so heartbreaking as well. Um, and Ron was brave. Ron was worthy. And um, sadly, the movies, I think, have made people forget that. But I loved all of his scenes in this in this book. It, it's, 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 it was such a good arc for him. And it was lovely to see. I even agree. If that. I'll say this about Ron in this. Like, in the movies, they make Ron very wimpy a lot more so, far more so than he is in the books. Um, Almost like he's scared of everything. He doesn't have courage. I'm like, how does he, how is he a Gryffindor? Like they don't make him very courageous most of the time. He's like doing it because he really has no choice because Ron and Hermione and Harry are dragging him, it seems like. But I will say in this, in the book for sure, but also when they portrayed it in the movie, I feel like they finally gave Ron a pair, if that makes sense. 100%. He figured out that, oh, hey, I'm strong and brave, and, like, I feel like he figured it out in this book, but they also were Mm -hmm. finally able to portray that in the movie. 100%. Deathly Hollows is the best Ron movie. Sadly, too much damage has been done to his character. It was really hard to save. And I don't know... Like, in terms of, like, people who watch the movies more or as time goes by or people who just watch the movies. Um, it was, it, I think it was a too little too late for a lot of people. And yeah. the, the, and I don't understand because Rupert Grant's a great actor, so he can, he can act. He can handle those scenes. So it wasn't yeah. like we just give him the, the wimpy scenes because he can't do it. Um, and also, they purposely gave the moments of real heroism of Ron um, to Hermione. Hermione became way more heroic than she was. Um, and, and Ron just became the comedic relief, really, for, for the series. And he's always been the comedic, one of the comedic reliefs of the story. He just isn't as much as the movies made him out to be. But the movie did pretty good with Ron in the last one, for sure. All right. And then the last thing, I think one of the things that we had in common was Neville. So... You want to talk about Neville? Uh, Yes, because I love Neville. So this, again, I feel like Neville had kind of, he'd already shown so much growth in this series. But I feel like Neville became the leader he was always meant to be in this. Like, in the of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, it's like everyone turned to Neville. Neville knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Neville was brave. He was a little cocky, which is fun. Um, I just think he, like, he also, I feel like Deathly Hollows, along with, like, all the normal storylines, was a story of kids becoming adults. Like, these kids yeah. are grown up. They have to deal with the situations that they're given. And I feel like so many of them did it like 
so well. I, I almost want to be like, I'm so proud. Like, as a mom, just being like, look, you grow up. Like, I imagine yeah. usually, like, in the corner crying because there are all these little adults that could, she can let them go I into the world and they'll be fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And, and, and I've dealt dealt with things, both internally and externally, um, which is yeah. which is great. And Neville, Neville taking that, that sword of the hat and killing Nagini. And Neville, awesome. so tell me, did this happen in the book? Here's, here's a book mm-hmm. movie thing. Like, the part in the, I know what happens in the movie, but the part where Neville gives, like, the little, like, F-U to... Voldemort, does that happen in the movie or the book? Like, I think it's more extended and more. I think it's more extended and more dramatic in the movie. But yeah, I mean, like she definitely yeah, has for a sure. cry. But and, like, like he, takes the sword out, yeah. Yeah, like he just he he's basically yeah. like he could just as easily turn and walk over to them and that'd be it. But he was like, Nah, bro, that's not gonna work for me. <laughs> and I don't he should know. have just said I that. Think he could, nah, bro. Nah, bro. That's not gonna work. That's what Neville should have said. I just, I just, I don't know. I love Neville. I've loved Neville since the beginning when he got ten points for Gryffindor in the movie. I don't know if that happens in the book either. Yeah, but and, in the movie, and, I'm like, and, and I would also say that Neville in the movies also didn't get as much depth as the book as well because in the the book we oh, have a little sure. bit more exploration in his parents and and kind yeah, of seeing that side everyone. of him. And yeah, when people are um, like. I did. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and I think I think that adds to that moment of grabbing that sword and 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 taking on Nagini and 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 being that one that kind of starts the end of it all. Um, is 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 so more. It's it's a lot more emotional knowing that knowing that he came from two fam- two parents who made the ultimate sacrifice, lost their memories. Um, and that, you know, and, and just kind of that turnaround that he has, it's, it's just, it's, it's a great arc for him. He probably has the most growth out of all of the characters over the books for sure. Yeah. I just think that again, this was, a uh, Neville finally got his like moment, but I do tell everyone I talk to when they're like, I don't need to read the books. I'm like, Oh my God, you are missing so much. Yeah, and even the, um, I have to say this for my friend Megan, even the Weasley twins, like I think Weasley twins, people are very popular, like are still popular with the movie crowd, but there's so much more to the Weasley twins and, and what they do in their shop and like the aspects of who they are as as people played out much better in, in the books, for sure, 100%. Um, the, the depth of character, and these are really good characters. Um, I think is the thing that that is missing from the movies, and then also like making Hermione super Hermione in the movies. I don't agree with because I think it sends the message of women have to be super crazy awesome in order to be celebrated, and Hermione has faults, and those faults are important to her character, and it's not explored in the movies those faults are never explored can you tell me a fault in the movie Hermione there is no fault the fault is that she is overly awesome in the <laughs> like right and, and and it's that lack of complexity in women's characters that I get really frustrated with you can be both smart 
and not smart sometimes. You can be strong and have moments of emotion. And it just felt like they overcompensated Hermione and lost the complexity of that character. And then other characters never got the depth that they needed. So I, I think that in terms of the Harry Potter movies, it's not capturing the full magic of all the characters. The only one I think they did right was Luna. <laughs> and I think it's because mm-hmm. they literally cast Luna um, to play Luna. So um, it ended up being really good for them. But, yeah, read the books. If you love the characters of the movies, I guarantee you will love the characters even more if you read the books. For sure. 100%. Um, and then, of course, we have to get to the deaths. So you've already mentioned that Snape is one of the deaths that were very emotional to you. Um, what other deaths really hit you? Fred. <laughs> Fred, 100%. If you didn't say Fred, I don't know if he could do a podcast anymore. <laughs> like, Fred, this was I... Part... I was like, no. No, like, really? Because all I could think is, like, you could have killed any other Weasley and it wouldn't be as devastating as Fred for the simple yeah. fact, twin bond, you know, they have yes. that it's not just losing a brother. It that's like literally losing your other half. And then it's going to impact George. Like it doesn't, it wasn't explored, but like I can imagine the arc of George um, after that would have been, I, it would be hard to watch. Um, I don't know how he could recover, to be honest, losing a twin. So I agree. Like, if you, if it was Bill, if it was Charlie, if it was definitely Percy, if Percy was the one, I think everyone would be fine. Um, but, yeah, killing killing Fred I, I was, was hard. I cried. Um, and I know I, one of my friends threw the book and walked away. <laughs> like, threw the book at the wall and was like, I need a break. And just left. Um, and because it's a, it's a sad death and it's, you're right in that it's realistic and that people die in war and that there's no rhyme or reason for it. Um, why someone gets hit by a spell and why someone doesn't. Um, but it was, it was hard. And also it was a Percy Fred bonding moment. Um, in yeah. which he was killed. So I can imagine that people who are like for Fred were like, F you, Percy. <laughs> Why couldn't it be you? God. So it was, that was definitely a gut punch. That was, that was sad. And uh, I know a lot of yeah. people also did not like Dobby dying. I'm fine with Dobby dying, but it was a sad scene. Um, because oh, it had this. The sacrifice has to be more than wizards. So, um, but yeah, the, super sad. And then, of course, there was Tonks and Lupin, who Tonks had a baby, which is Teddy Tonks, um, and he lost both his parents, which is kind of like the cycle all over again, right? The orphan, the orphan boy, um, which is also okay. super sad, too. So, the book definitely did live up to its first chapter of Carnage. Um, but I thought it was a very well, it was a beautiful, beautifully written book. Um, it's a good one. So now that we've gone over 
you're, uh, I've been corrected. It's not Teddy Tonks. It's Teddy Lupin. Apparently, I got very feminist. Um, Teddy Lupin is the name <laughs> of the child. <laughs> it is very um, true. You're wrong. <laughs> my neo-feminism agenda right there. Um, which is not true. I don't have that agenda. Um, but now that we've gone over all the books, um, what would be your ultimate ranking? See, I didn't pull this out because I'm like, oof. Okay, so uh, I could do I'll mine at any time. Um, I mean, I'm, I just couldn't think of like. So, Deathly Hallows is definitely my favorite, and my least favorite is definitely. So it used to be Order of the Phoenix, but after I listened to the audiobook, it made it so much better. And maybe the voices and stuff like that the the reader did like was on point. Um so like Order of the Phoenix would probably be like my number three now. Um cool. I'd have to say my least favorite is probably um um, uh, what's the one I'm thinking? Uh, the Triwizard Tournament one. Oh, Goblet of Fire. Yeah, that one. You don't have that on your list. I know, I just realized yeah, that. I was, like, looking, I was like, it's not on there, so I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. But, yeah, Goblet of Fire is probably my least favorite, and that probably goes hand-in-hand hand with the movie, too, and it might be because that's how I relate them a lot. Um, but I just, that wasn't my favorite. Um, maybe Sorcerer's Stone is my second because it was like the introduction to the series and so you kind of love it. Um, and then the other ones just kind of fall in five and six. Like I don't really have an opinion on the matter. But definitely, yeah, so mine, definitely first. Um, mine is, I think my least favorite is Half-Blood Prince just because I don't care about the relationship side of things and that was such a big chunk of that book. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. um true. Oh. So <laughs> and that's I think it's also one of my my probably my least favorite movie too for the same reasons. But there's definitely some good stuff. Like no, when I say it's my least favorite, I'm not saying any of them suck. Um they're all really good books. But I would say Half Blood's my least favorite and then I think Chamber of Secrets is um next. Sorcerer's Stone is next. Goblet of Fire. Um, Prisoner Azkaban is my third favorite because it's just such a cohesive story with Sirius Black. Order of the Phoenix is... I go back and forth between my number one. Order of the Phoenix, I put it as my number two, um, but it probably could be my number one depending on the day just because of how much it's in there and just so many things are set up. Um, And then Deathly Hollows is just a well-written book like it is so poetic so um i think it's more of the writing style that that gets deathly hollow so high but honestly order the phoenix and deathly hollows can be probably switchable in my brain yeah i think official order for me would be deathly hollows one sorcerer's stone two um order the phoenix three and that might be two now order the phoenix but two three and then um Prisoner of Azkaban, and then honestly, like Goblet, Chamber of Secrets, Half Blood Prince could all fluctuate between five to seven, <laughs> depending <laughs> on the moment. Yeah, Half Blood Prince, like the, the moment, Brown. which one I'm enjoying the most. 
the lavender brown baby talk and like Cormac, like all of I, that stuff, I could care less about. I did really <laughs> hate like all that lovey-dovey and like I really hated the whole like Ron was like Twitter-pated crap. I'm like, oh god, can we stop? It's such a waste yeah, of no. good story time. <laughs> yeah, no, like, and that's it. Like, it, like especially coming out of Order of the Phoenix, I think. I I think it being after Order of the Phoenix it just was like this seems so frivolous. Like why the hell are we doing this? This is so dumb. Ugh! It was basically she allowed teenagers to be teenagers and teenagers are annoying sometimes sometimes and so therefore we were like, No, this is not my favorite book. Right. Um sweet. Yeah. All right. So, um let us close our show. We went a little bit over, which is perfectly fine. I expected it because Deathly Hollows deserves a lot yeah. of time. Um, do you have anything nerdy that's going on with you? Um, not really. I've been doing a lot of reading because I'm behind, surprisingly, even though I've read 37 books. Um, <laughs> and uh, But I've been doing a lot of puzzles because they chill me out. Um, like physical puzzles, Sudoku puzzles, word puzzles. So... We'll see. That's how I've been spending my nerdy time. Yeah. Um, for me, I've I've discovered YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Who would have known? I used to go to YouTube for like specific like music videos and stuff, but like I never watched any of the content creators really on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but thanks to my friend Megan, um, I really got into um a lot of like lawyers on YouTube going over things and like going over primary sources for different court cases or different laws. And it's so fascinating to me. Like I could read, I could watch someone reading to me a court brief for hours. Um, (laughs) Other people probably couldn't do it, but I loved it. And like, it's so good. And like, I, think that's how the news should be to be honest but i know a lot of people don't want the news to be that way because it's not entertaining but at least you can see what it is and you can come up with your own determination and listen to other people's analysis and then you can agree or disagree with their analysis knowing what the hell they're talking about instead of what 98 percent of news is which is we are going to introduce this very complex thing that you don't know anything about and then have a bunch of people who pretend they know things talk, and you just have to be like, well, this person sounds like they know what they're talking about. Um, so that's why I like it. And then there's another thing that I got really into, which is Cinema Therapy, a YouTube channel. Again, I have to credit Megan for this as well. Um, and when I'm playing Megan, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about one of my friends. I have a lot of friends <laughs> named Megan. You're um, talking about third person. I'm not. I'm not disassociating. I'm not disassociating. Okay, I promise. Um, but anyway, cinema therapy is a licensed therapist and his filmmaker friend. They look at different movies and they basically like diagnose or like talk about the psychological problems of a of characters. And I just finished their Twilight, and oh my god! <laughs> I was. Oh man, I might have to watch that. Twilight is just like I suspected a lot of psychological issues. Um, so <laughs> cinema therapy on YouTube, a good one to check out. 
All right. Nice. Now let's get to the conclusion. So we want feedback on what to discuss in the world of nerdom. So definitely give us feedback and follow us at talknerdy underscore radio. Um, you can also look at nerdprobs.com for articles and reviews and blogs. Um, and this will make Kristen happy, I think. I Next week, it. we're going to be talking about music and movies, and our main discussion is going to be the Jurassic Park movie franchise. I'm going to have to put this as a 90-minute episode again because, girl, I talk <laughs> about the Jurassic Park movies. Excited to give days. you a gift. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. All right, this is yeah. my jam, guys. See, never say I don't give you anything. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Um, and keep being nerdy. All right. Bye.